God. Praise God. That's good. Well, kind of brings back memories, really, getting this message. Um, to see if I could speak this morning. Years and years ago, when Barbara and I started Risker Church, you had to go prepared every Sunday, either to lead worship or to speak, because you wouldn't be asked in advance. You'd be asked on the morning. And so you always went prepared for whatever. And so it was a, one of those things you got in the habit of doing. And so, praise God, we hope we got this together for this morning. And uh, before we begin, I'd just like to make reference to the prayer meeting. Earlier today we had the prayer meeting upstairs. And during that time, Keith brought a word about God giving me some keys that would unlock uh, certain situations. Situations that I'm not aware of. And then Sally followed it up. And part of Sally's word, if my memory serves me correctly, was be prepared to do things a bit differently. And at that point, I just felt God prompt me to change slightly the order of what I was going to go through today. So instead of finishing with some words of knowledge, I'm going to begin with them. And then you can think about them as we go through uh, the rest of the message and see whether they fit with you or not. If you have a Bible, turn with me quickly to Psalm 116, because uh, one of the words of knowledge comes from, from the Psalms. And the other two words that I've got are these. So please bear with me. Don't shoot the Adam boy. Um, I started years ago trusting God with words, and sometimes you get it right, and sometimes you get it wrong. But you never learn if you don't step out of the comfort zone. So I just felt while preparing for this that God wants to set some people free today. Free from a spirit of meanness and free from a spirit of argumentativeness. Coming into that in a bit more detail uh, as we go through what I want to share. But in Psalm 116 it also says there's two verses there and it's repeated uh, the same, <coughs> excuse me, the same verse is, is there twice and it says, I will repay my vow in the company of God's people. Paraphrase version. I will repay my vow. And I believe there's somebody here today and a while ago you made a vow to God that went something like this. If you sort my mess out, I will give whatever you do you determined in God to give. And God sorted the mess out. And it's time to fulfill the vow. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you're welcome here. We thank you for your presence today. We thank you that you're moving in our midst. We thank you, God, we're not just a charismatic church in name, but we seek always to follow hard after you and to listen to your voice and to be those that will run with your spirit. Now, just lay this word before you, Father. I ask you that you take it and you use it for the furtherance of your kingdom and that Jesus will be glorified today. Amen. If you have a Bible, will you turn with me, please, to the famous chapter in Malachi, chapter 3. I mean, we kind of grew up on this, this passage. It's the bit that talks about robbing God 
and tithing and robbing God with your tithes and your offerings. And it's always interesting in churches when somebody stands up the front and says, we're going to talk on tithing. And you kind of feel in your spirit that somewhere in the room, a dip in somebody else's spirit takes place. And they go, oh God, here we go again. Well, this is not so much a preach on tithing itself, even though Babs and I really believe in the principles attached to tithing. We believe in the need for tithing. Tithing on gross, that's God getting the, the top slice before the tax man takes. We give what is rightfully to God. It's more to do with our journey as we have sought to walk with God over the years, and in particular with some of the answers to prayer that we have seen from God because we chose to tithe. We're not going to read this passage as such. We'll just dip into it from time to time. We'll leave it up on the screen for you to keep looking at because that's more better to look at than me. You know, take it as you like, I suppose. Um, no, thank you very much. Thank you. I'll pay you later. Um, but years and years ago, I grew up, as, as many of you know, in a Christian family. My dad was an evangelist. And... Um, my parents tithe. They didn't talk about it a lot. They just did it. Now, Dad wasn't earning an awful lot of money. He was paid by a London-based firm, and he didn't actually pay income tax until the year before he retired. That kind of puts into context the kind of money that he was on. I think their hidden principle was, God, you keep him humble and we'll keep him poor. And they did it exceptionally well. But, you know, Tithing is one of those things, it's kind of an interesting ball game that we play. Now, it didn't happen in this city, but in a city close to home. There were three ministers that got together one day, and they're talking about church growth, and they're talking about how their pro uh, projects that they've got planning, and where's the money coming from, and, and do your congregation tithe, and do they not tithe, and how do you manage your offering, and what do you do with it all? And the one minister said, oh, I've got a lovely, uh, a lovely method that I adopt. In my vestry, I've drawn a white line in the carpet. It's there for everybody to see. And I take the offering plate in, and I stand with one foot either side of the line. And I throw the offering up in the air. And what lands on the left-hand side, God gets. What lands on the right-hand side, I get. And he said, the system kind of works really well for me. Or said the other guy, I have a similar kind of uh, method, but I have a circle. A round circle, and I stand in the middle of the circle. It's not huge, but it's not small. It's a sensible size, like. And I get the offering, and I stand there, and I throw it up in the air. And what stays in the circle, I get. What goes outside the circle, God gets. So that's how I work it. Well, the third minister looked with a bit of a right smile, and he said, I'm similar, but I think I've moved my method a little bit further down the road than where you brothers are coming from. I stand in the vestry with my collection plate, and I throw it up in the air. And what stays up, God gets. You kind of get the end line. Yes. He was the wealthiest of the three. Didn't happen in Wales. I think it was in Bristol somewhere. But, you know. But it was always the church down the road. But tithing is one of those kind of issues that we face. And the problem that we face with tithing is that when it's mentioned, if I'm not in faith for it, and what's interesting is we just had two minutes silence. It's not a lot to give, is it? For men that gave everything for us. We've just had breaking the bread to remember what Jesus did for us. Don't forget, God 
was in Christ, reconciling himself to the world. It was a huge sacrifice for Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And all God asks is 10%. Top slice. Before the taxman takes it, before Caesar gets his hand on it, give God what is rightfully his. But of course it raises issues, doesn't it? It raises questions. It raises arguments. I can't afford the tithe. Is the classic. And really, the underlying problem with that is, if I say I can't afford the tithe, I'm really saying a number of other things that are hidden. What I'm really saying is, God, one, you're not big enough. Two, I can't trust you. And three, I can't trust the eldership that, as a church, I'm bringing my money to. So therefore, I don't tithe. I give to save the whale. I give to save in water. I give to all, all sorts of other charities. But, but tithing, well, I can't afford to. God can do more with your 90% when you willingly give than you can do with 100% when you're mean and you withhold it from God. And when you withhold it from God, you have no right to come to God with a righteous argument and say, God, you said, and I am doing, therefore, you are a covenant-keeping God. Will you now fulfill your promise and pour out the blessing so great that I can't contain it? But when I withhold from God, I have no right to come to God with a righteous argument. The other thing we say is it's, it's legalistic. Well, it depends how you kind of understand God's Word. See, when you study God's Word, there are some principles that we need to put in place. One of the principles is this. Always remember the law of the first mention. So if you find tithing somewhere, go back to where you first find it and then follow it through Scripture to find out, is it biblical? Because you can't divide the Old Testament from the New. The Old and the New go together. And when I settle that in my heart, I have a full book of promises I come to God with. When I say, oh, it's Old Testament, well, I have to find promises in the New Testament only. Well, that's not the way to live for God. So, the law of the first mention I found really interesting. Because when you go back into Genesis, you find God takes Adam, places him in the Garden of Eden, and says, here's this wonderful garden. It's 200 square miles. It's almost the size of Anglesey, just to get whales in. So he says, there you are. There's your garden. Look after it. All the fruits of the trees are for you. But that tree over there is mine. It's up front. But the problem with man is, ever since the fall, we tried playing God. Which is what the tree of knowledge is all about. It's the only tree that's not protected. But the other, the other uh, rule to bear in mind is that Genesis is the seedbed for everything else. So you find in Genesis, not the thing written out in full, you just find a seed of tithing. And chapter 1, verse 1, starts off a great way to start the best story ever told. In the beginning, God. And God wants to be in the beginning of everything, especially our money. Everything. God deserves the top bit. We have just sung, Waymaker, Miracle Worker, Promise Keeper, Light in My Darkness, My God. That is who you are. But you don't know it until you trust Him. And you don't know it until you trust Him with your money. Because that's the bone of contention. And it's one of those bones of contention that was around and has been around forever and a day. We still argue it. The other argument that crops up with tithing is that, well, Jesus never taught it. No, he didn't. 
That is very true. He didn't have to teach it, because in his day, they were already doing it. You don't have to teach it if it's already been practiced. You just take it for granted. That's what's being done. So it's not taught. He did say you give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. You give to God what belongs to God. And in essence, what Jesus is saying, listen, Caesar will always take. He's like King Saul in the Old Testament. He will always take from you. I'm asking you to give it. Freely. Willingly. Go back to the passage that Joan read out in Corinthians. And when you walk in obedience to God, you have the right to come to God and say to God, this is what you said. So, growing up, tithing was one of those things that we did. My parents did it. I didn't know much about it. I knew they did it. On the little that they had, they tithed. And one day, the carpet on the stairs is kind of threadbare. Now, I mean, it's threadbare. It's really threadbare. And my mother decides to pray about the carpet. My dad's going out to work one day. A man walks up the street, speaks to him and says, Can I have some time a moment? Can you help me? I said, yeah, help you. What do you want? So I went back into the house and the man said, Look, I, I, I've got to count this money, but I'm no good at it. And I know because you work in the Bible shop in the market, you're more used to counting money. Can you kind of work it all out and, and pull all the pennies? Cause, oh, currency, like pennies, something bits, six bits, you know. The two bob bit, the half a crown. You get them all ready and, 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 and let me know and write it all down. So my dad did and gave it him back. And it was £75. And the man went, that's for you, for your carpet. Now, it's only a small thing. But, you know, growing up, round about this time of the year, I can't remember the exact date, but round somewhere before Christmas, when the evening sun had set and it was dark, there'd be a knock at the front door. My mother would go to the front door, and on the doorstep was a parcel of food. Never knew who presented it, who left it there. And that happened every year. My three elder brothers, they all left school, got, got jobs. And then I left school in 1968, started work. And in 1968, the last parcel of food was on the doorstep. We never had it after that because the four sons were now working. And as my mother went to the door, she saw the back of somebody disappearing in the darkness. She called out and the person never responded. No idea to this day who presented that parcel of food. But my parents had this idea of the righteous argument before God. Now, we used to say grace before meals and after meals. We had to pray the food in and then thank God we were still alive after my mother cooked it. But, you know, <laughs> I'm not kidding. Cabbage was a different ballgame. But, you know, Babs and I got married in 1973. I know she doesn't look old enough. But I can't say I spoiled her. But, you know, 1973 we got, we got married and we tithed straight away. A few years later we realised we should be tithing gross. There was a guy that arrived in church and flagged it all up. He said, oh, you know, the heart sank. You've got to deal with it. Church wasn't strong. Where does the money come from when you're a small church? It comes from people that are present. That's, it doesn't fall out of the sky. So we gave. We came through the arguments. We, we laid it down the right God. If it's tithing, this is what we do. Now, I was, I was in work, but work wasn't exceptionally well paid. And sometimes the bonus was okay and sometimes the bonus wasn't okay. Sometimes you worked overtime to make up the money and sometimes there was no overtime there. And sometimes things got very tough. And on one occasion, couldn't afford to get the oil to put in the engine but still use the car. And of course, you know, when there's not much oil in the engine, things kind of go wrong. And yeah, I needed a new engine. It was a Mark II Cortina, silver-grey colour, 
liked the car, but it was outside the house, it wasn't going anywhere. So we're praying. Come on, God, we're tithing. This is, this is what you said. We're not robbing you. This is, we need you to come to our rescue. And the phone rang. And I answered the phone, 612172, hello, speaking please. Hello, Rich, said this voice. My eldest brother-in-law, Barbara's brother, Malcolm. Oh, I said, hey, Mark, do you want Babs? No, that car you got, he's a man of few words on the phone. That car you got, is it worth keeping? I said, yes, it's worth keeping, nothing wrong with the body work. I'd be down with £100. Put the phone down. He wasn't a churchgoer. I mean, there was a, a sense of God. He understood, in a sense, some of God's stuff. But he never went to church. He went to the club, went to the pub. That's what he gave his life to. Came down, so, and we were able to sort the car out. But then we come to move. Now, moving was a challenge. We were on a high when we, when we left South Wales in 1990. And we had a few visits. We stayed with Steve Virginia on one occasion, and, or maybe even two or three occasions. I can't remember. We got well fed and well looked after. Thought of their car. I was an answer to prayer. Uh, stayed with Alan and Sandra. That was an experience of a lifetime. John <laughs> cook breakfast this morning? I said, that'd be great or whatever. Good, because we haven't got any. So, you know, the humour did it all. We then got on well after that. And, you know, the rest, they say, is history. But we were on a high. But for the move to take place, Babs and I had to give up work. Both in different jobs. Had to give a hand in our notice because we thought by being in the area, I would find work a lot quicker. I'd been travelling up and down for interviews, coming second, employers promising the earth. And the job paper was like the Sunday Times. At the time, it was huge. And David Lyle, who used to be a member here, used to send the paper to us every week without fail. It used to take ages to go through it. And then we come to move. And the bottom fell out of the employment market. And the job paper was four, it was a double spread. Four, four pages, basically. And what was on the front page was repeated on the last page. I said, okay, God, but you called us. And I remember Bob saying to me, so when do you think you'd be back in work? I said, be back in work by Christmas. Full of faith. God promised to look after us. What I didn't know was, which Christmas? It was right, but only half a story. And it became Christmas 1999. In fact, it was almost nine years to the day that we moved that the unemployment situation changed for us. Now, you may say, well, I can't afford to tell you I'm on benefit. That is not true. God is big enough. We tithe on benefit. Job seekers allowance. The first thing we did when we moved up, said, right, I'll go and see the bank manager. Our, our account was being shifted from uh, Newport up to Newburn. We'll go and make an appointment with the bank manager. We'll have a chat to him. We'll explain to him what's happening, the situation we're in. Keep him in the loop. So God doesn't always give you money to answer your need, but he may put people that have favour for you. And I met the bank manager, and he was a lovely guy, older than me, sat down with him, explained why we'd moved, showed him the budget. What's this tithe? Explained, no problem whatsoever. And he was understanding that we didn't give us everything we ever needed every time he went in, but we always kept him in the loop. He thought it's the right thing to do. And on one occasion, we were in the carpet factory, and when I say we didn't have any money, I mean we didn't have stocks and shares. We didn't have premium bonds. We didn't have savings. Meant we didn't have any money. Nowhere, no jars under the bed, nothing under the mattress. And Bob, 
Bob Lemon, I think it was, was the preacher. And he was doing a thing on, on money. Well, that was, that was hysterical, really. I mean, be, not between us. Bob's at 27th. I had nothing. And at the end of the meeting, he got everybody to stand, take their money out of their purse, out of their pocket, out of their wallet, hold it in their hand, hold it up to God and laugh. Well, that was hysterical. 27 feet. said, God, you can have it. This is what we got. Okay, you got it. So babysitter was a young lass. I think she just finished college and was doing travel and tourism as a job. And she's babysitting. We get home to discover that God has spoken to her to give us a gift of 30 pounds. You can't outgive God, providing you're prepared to work with God and comply with what God says. Now you may say, well it's Old Testament. Yes it is. But here's the phrase, the other principle for studying God's word. Take the phrase Old and New, Old Testament, New Testament, okay? Old. The New is in the Old, concealed. And the, and the Old is in the new, revealed. You can't have the one testament without the other. You need them both. And when you get the full picture, you suddenly find God is incredibly gracious in the Old Testament as he is in the new. He's incredibly generous in the Old Testament as he is in the new. He wants obedience in the New Testament as he did in the Old Testament. And when the children of Israel got it wrong and they didn't obey, that's when things come and step for them. But God wants our heart. And he doesn't really get my heart until he gets my pocket. On another occasion, there was another special offering. And we, again, we had nothing. So Bob said, well, I tell you what, whatever comes in by Saturday, we'll give. Up to this point, Nathan had, had his bike stolen, his brand new uh, Peugeot BMX bike. We had our car stolen. So life is not just a breeze, even though we were unemployed. Every job I'm applying for, every interview I'm going for, I'm coming second. Well, if you come second after 50 times, you just will be last. But at the end of the nine years, it was 2,660 replies I got to adverts, as well as a, a wallet full of adverts that were never replied to. And it was just, it was tough. There was a lot of pain attached to it. And there was a lot of pain attached to it to the giving, but we were committed to God, because God was committed to us. So we got this special offering coming up, and we decided whatever comes in by Saturday, we're going to give. Well, Saturday came, the postman arrived, there was nothing. So, okay God, we can go forward and give ourselves again, but we got nothing to put in. I can't remember all the story, but somebody, I think, gave us a gift of, hmm? came to the house and gave us a gift, £40. And if I'm honest, the first thought was, Babs went, ah, oh, you know, if only it'd come on Monday. <laughs> I, I was far more godly. <laughs> I was with it all the way. You know, oh God, if only, but on the Sunday morning, to be able to take that and be part of the special offering for what we were committed to and to be able to put it in and trust God for the next bit was crucial because you can't outgive God. It's an impossibility. But what you have to do is draw near to God and He will draw near to you. And just like the story of the prodigal son, when he comes to his senses and he turns and he says, I will go to my father, the father's already seen him afar off. 
God sees you the moment you go, ah, okay, God, I'll change my heart. God's already working behind the scenes on your account. We had a, an occasion where I had to go, we had to go back to Wales for my father's funeral, and there was a petrol shortage on, and you could only allow, only allow 10 pounds or 15 pound, uh, pounds worth of petrol. I thought, well, that's not going to get us halfway. I mean, um, anyway, went down to the, the filling station at the bottom of the estate, put the money in, or put the petrol in, went to see the guy and said, um, look, this is the deal, this is the problem. Uh, I got this funeral to go to and it's not going to get me anywhere. He said, don't pay me just yet. Go off the forecourt, drive around, come back onto the forecourt, go to pump five and fill your tank up. This favour, when, when we walk in obedience with God, He gives us favour where we don't deserve it. He gives us favour when we least expect it. He gives us favour from an unlikely source. That's God for you. On one occasion at Stonely, we were going from Stonely Bible Week to Wales and then back up to Newcastle. We sat down and we chatted and we, we got £19. We were rich. But £19 wasn't going to cover everything we needed. It wasn't going to cover the the journey never meant anything else. And I think we came out of a morning meeting and on the way out, somebody from another part of the site called across and said, can you come and visit us this afternoon, please? So I said, yeah, I come pay you a visit. So I went to see this couple that I hadn't seen for years from my way to where their caravan was and sat down chatting over a cup of coffee and he said, um, God's spoken to us, told us to give you this. It's a hundred pounds. You can't outgive God. Now, in the unemployment years, there was an awful lot of pain attached to it, an awful lot of feeling rejected by employers, and that has a huge knock-on effect. Now, at the time, I was working voluntary at Long Benton Community College. I was doing about six assemblies a week in different schools. I was part of uh, different community groups. Babs was often travelling up with them, cleaning for somebody, a round trip of 50 miles. And we're looking at God to meet the need, but your feelings get in the way. It wasn't, it wasn't an easy nine years. Your feelings get in the way. And one morning, walking across the footbridge over the A1 to get the bus to go to Long Benton Community College, and the traffic is whizzing by underneath lorries by the dozen load. One after another, flying up the A1. And I remember putting my case down. I don't know why I stopped, but I put my case down, and there's almost like a blanket of depression just hit me. And I looked at over the rail and I thought, just roll over the end. That's all you go, what are you, what are you playing at? What is it you're trying to achieve? Just, just go for it. Just, it's, it's a way of escape. Of course, the problem with suicide is it's incredibly selfish. Because we never, we never think about the knock-on effect of the family. We never think of the knock-on effect of the person that actually causes the death. And if you're contemplating suicide. Please don't play God with your life. But come forward for prayer afterwards. Let somebody else talk you through and help you and counsel you and help you see how God sees you. And that situation for me actually happened twice. We got the 1995. The, the government in their wisdom had interrupted and said, quite along, Bender Community College is not working for you. And I had a steering group around me. William Bing was on the steering committee. And I came out really miffed by it. And I thought, well, okay, well, that's what you have to do. So we're out. And then they got a phone call off Alan. He said, can you get some time off? We're putting a team together. Would you like to come to Albania? 
So that was set in motion and went to Albania. We got a lorry and we'd drive in uh, down to the country and we get to Dover and we just make it to the ferry in time and the, boat, uh, the lorry gets on the boat and it's secured down and we climb up the deck and uh, the boat is now pulling across the English Channel. And there's six of us standing at the handrail on the stern of the boat watching Dover disappear in the night sky. And five of the members walked back inside and I found myself on my own. And I looked down at the surf and I thought, it's just easy, nobody's going to miss you. Just roll over and it's done with. And the next thing I knew, I was, I was back inside and I thought, well, where did that come from? Because the feelings of rejection kind of go incredibly deep for us. Feelings get in the way. They don't mean I'm not trusting God. They don't mean God's not big enough. They're just feelings that get in the way. But through it all, we learned to trust in Jesus. We learned to trust in God. Through it all, we learned to depend upon His Word. God's amazing. He's absolutely amazing. We sing that song about the bride and I can't wait to see Him. What a day just to be able to worship Him face to face because He's worthy of it all. There's loads of stories that we had um, in, in those nine years and I've probably forgotten some of them even though I've written some of them down. But there were times when the bank manager that we got on well with the new bank manager would say, oh, don't budget this way, budget that way. Don't have a, a short view. Look at your budget over the 12 months because over the 12 months things will iron themselves out. I think, oh, that's helpful. Like, I mean, I think, oh, it's common sense. Why didn't I see it before? But God gives you favour with certain people. There was another occasion going back to Wales and the brakes of the car suddenly they're rubbing and they're screeching and they're making this horrible sound and we have to make this journey back. And I think we had a friend in the house who said, um, well I'll pay for it I'll do it on my credit card and pay us the money when you've got it he went well that's really, very kind of you but there's no knowing when we're going to be able to do that and then the, the postman arrived and there's a brown envelope amongst the letters and you think oh well, here we go again right? and we opened the brown envelope it was from the DSS now God has unlikely sources of meeting your need they had underpaid me £255 you can't outgive God. You can sit there, you can argue it, you can say tithing is legalistic, tithing is old-fashioned, tithing is Old Testament, Jesus never taught it. You can put all the arguments up, but today, God wants to set you free from a spirit of, a spirit of argumentativeness so you can prove God for yourself. And you can have a story of God's faithfulness in your circumstances. God can set you free from debt where you struggle and you can't make your ends meet because your incoming is less than your outgoing and your upkeep is your downfall. And all you need to do is put God first in everything and let God come to your rescue. Because when you're on your knees calling on God, when you're crying at, at home saying, God, where is the answer? You said this, what's going on? God's working somewhere else on behalf of you and you don't know it. And then suddenly, the need gets met. God, I trusted you all the way, Lord. I really did. I trusted you. I was always in faith, God. I never doubted you once. Oh, may God forgive me. But you know, you, many is, it's, it's that funny thing, isn't it? We complain if we have to pay for stuff in church. As if it's going to fall out of the sky. Now, God expects His people 
to be committed to the cause. Not just in action by serving, very commendable for all of you that serve. May more of you step up to the mark. But for some of you, it's time to step up to the mark with your money. If you're committed to this place, to the vision of this place, if you're committed, then be committed with your finances and then have a righteous argument to come before God. Because you said, God, if you bring all the tithe and the offering into the storehouse, I will pour out a blessing. I am no longer robbing you, God, because this is what I am doing. And when we were on benefit, whether it was birthday money, whether it was gifts that came in, whether it was money at Christmas, every penny that came in, we chose to tithe everything. And God never let us down. On one occasion, we were in CNAs. Bought a pair of trousers. I think they were either 75p or 175. They were a bargain in the boys' section. It's a God-given gift being slim. You know, not everybody has that testimony. <laughs> About a day or two later, they had a phone call. A friend, a friend of ours wanted to meet up, so we met up with this couple, and the guy said, um, try this coat on. Nice jacket, blue. Oh, go nice for, them, for those great trousers. I said, you can have it. I've, I've grown out of it. So oh, thank you very much. That's grand. So we eventually got home and thought, oh, I put those trousers on, put the jacket on, try it. And being a typical guy, I put my hands in the pockets and just, there was money left in the pocket. So I rang this guy and said, um, excuse me, but um, that coat you can, you, you've left some money in it. Well, he said, it must now belong to the new owner. It was £50. See, God is creative in the way in which he wants to bless us. But it takes somebody else to be creative to meet the need. Before we moved up, I had ME. And after I moved up, I had ME. But on one occasion, I'd gone to a church meeting in Wales and I was due to travel up for a week. And we had no money. I'd been off work and they didn't pay you sick money or didn't pay a lot of sick money back in the day. And one of the guys in the church had this word of knowledge that there were people there that were struggling financially. So, oh, well, you know, this is a smack in the face with your pride, really. But anyway, we, I went forward. There were two ladies that came forward as well. And the guy said, now, we're not just going to pray for you. What I'm going to do, I'm going to pray for us. And in praying for us, I'm going to pray that God will speak to you and tell you what to give to bless either one of these people out the front. And I came home with my pockets overflowing with money. Babs was in bed and she said, well, how did the meeting go? And I went, well... And, and, and it was something like 200 and some odd pounds which covered train fare, covered the cost of being up here and, and for when I was away, for being for money for home. And you know, God, can, God has ways of meeting us. You can't outthink Him. You can't think without him. You can't get him out of your skin. You can't get him out of your hands. He's there. He's in your face. But he wants to bless you. But he wants your commitment. Will you stand, please? What if you have the musicians back on stage, please? What if we could sing that song again? Miracle worker, promise keeper. My God. That is who you are. Jesus said, Give, it will be given to you. He was talking about attitude in the way you judge people. It also applies to our pocket and the attitude we have over our finances. Give, and it will be given unto you. A good measure, pressed down, 
shaken together, full and running over will be poured into your lap. That's God's commitment. But I'm asking you to be courageous today. If you know that when tithing is raised, giving your finance to God is raised, you get this kind of argumentativeness in your spirit, and you know, I can't afford to, I can't... Today you're reckoning, I believe, for some of you today. And I'm asking you to come forward. I want to pray with you. And as a step of coming forward, what you're saying is, today I'm turning the corner. I'm going to draw a line under the way I've lived. I'm going to trust God with my money. And if you're the person that is mean, you sit on lots of money. You're wealthy, but you're tight with your money. God wants to set you free. It's His blessing that you've got anyway. He wants you to experience His generosity in a greater way than what you're currently sitting on. We're going to ask you to come forward as well so we can pray with you. The ministry team will come forward uh, as well, please. And if you're the person that's made a vow to God and you've not fulfilled that vow, I'm asking you today with the company of God's people to declare, I'm going to settle the vow. I'm going to pay back what I owe God. I'm going to put the record straight and make Jesus Lord of my life. The Lord of everything. My bank balance, my DSS gyro that comes in, my little, my much. I'm asking you, today is a day to put Jesus first. To put the arguments to one side. To lay the meanness down and to step into a better relationship with a Jesus who is incredibly generous towards you in his love, his grace, his death, his life, and his resurrection. He is worthy of it all.